You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Uh, Acts chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 31. And if you uh, don't have a Bible of your own, uh, there are black hardcover Bibles that look just like this one under the seats that you're sitting on or right in front of you. Uh, uh, Acts chapter 4 is found on page 857, and so uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab that one and take it with you. That's our gift to you. Um, It'll also be on the screen here as well, so you can read it off the TV as well. Uh, So Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. This is God's word to us this morning. Word of God says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. Signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, continue to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, we come before you this morning. First of all, um, we want to admit that we are hopeless and helpless without you. Lord, that the condition of our souls and our hearts and our minds, our entire beings as humans is corrupt with sin. So Father, we we need You. And Lord, You've been so good and gracious and kind and merciful and and loving and, and patient to us in the work of Your Son, Jesus, at that cross and at that empty tomb. And You have given us hope uh, of eternity through the promise of heaven, the return of Jesus. Father, I want want to really begin just by proclaiming that over us in these moments. Father, we need to hear from You and You alone. And yet, no, we know, Father, that we were separated from You, and yet You were so kind to provide a way to draw us near to You. So, Father, I pray over these next few moments that You would do just that, God, that You would cover this space, this place with shed blood of Your Son and the broken body of Your Son. Or that, that our sins would be not just covered, but completely removed and cast as high as the heavens are above the earth and as far as the east is from the west. Lord, that we could commune with You in these moments that we might hear from You. Father, I pray that Your, your Spirit would be just released into our presence, God, that You would fill us with Your Spirit. Lord, that Your Spirit would illuminate our hearts with Your Word. God, that Your your Spirit would make Your Word make sense to us. That Your Spirit would remove any sense of confusion or doubt or despair or fear or shame or guilt. Lord, that You would open up by the power of Your Spirit the hallways, doorways, the rooms of our hearts, or that You might come and inhabit those spaces. 
Lord, I pray that you would do this. I pray, God, that you would lead us to the foot of that bloody cross, the doorway of that empty tomb. Give us, once again, a renewed hope for eternity. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. God, we love you. Amen. Title of uh, message for today is uh, Prayer That Gets Results. Prayer That Gets Results. I'm going to ask you this question. How is your prayer life looking lately? What does your prayer life look like? Is it alive? Is it vibrant? How would you describe your prayer life? Would it be consistent? Would it be powerful? Would it be invigorating? These are words that not a lot of us use (laughs) to describe our prayer lives. I think um, I've walked this journey of following Jesus for years. I've heard not necessarily those words as it pertains to prayer life, but I've heard words more like, that's kind of boring, it's kind of dull, it's kind of really inconsistent, uh, um, maybe almost legalistic or routine. Um, I hear those kinds of words oftentimes, probably use them myself when it comes to praying. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled uh, over the centuries um, regarding the importance and the practice and the form and the blessings of prayer. It's not hard to find lots of books written about prayer and to read them. But in my experience, the discipline of praying, I think, is still one of the most difficult things for believers to engage in on a consistent, powerful basis. I do think that a lot of us struggle, we find it hard to strike a regular rhythm of praying powerfully. And when I say praying, I'm thinking about communing in the presence of God. It's a phrase that stuck with me over the years. That to commune in the presence of God, to like be with God in the many ways that you might see throughout Scripture. When Moses came down off the mountaintop after receiving the Ten Commandments, or times when Jesus would pull aside to pray, be with his Father. Many other times throughout Scripture when you witness prayer, it would seem like this relational communing with God. I think it's hard, though. I, I, think, I think we find it hard to strike that kind of a prayer life. I think it can be kind of difficult for us to see prayer um, as a conversation with our Heavenly Father. Why? Why is that hard? I think one reason that it can be hard is that our Heavenly Father is invisible, right? If we're just really honest, Heavenly Father is invisible. I think it's also hard sometimes to know what to say. Whether you've been a believer for 15 years or 15 minutes, it's hard to know what words to use. And I think sometimes we get into this habit, I don't know about you, but I, I find myself of, uh, like getting in this habit of just lobbing up the 911 prayers. You know what that's like, right? Um, you haven't really been in this regular rhythm of praying where, you know, when your feet hit the floor in the morning when you get out of bed, you're praying, you're communing, you're talking to God, you're in this relationship. You go to bed at night, it's the same way. It's like this attitude of prayer type of thing. You're not really in that, but you're really in this other rhythm where you're just getting out of bed and you're like trying to get the kids hustling to school or you're trying to get your spouse out of bed or you're just trying to get to work on time, whatever it may be, right? You're, just, you're running like crazy. And in the midst of that, things happen. So you're like lobbing up these 911 prayers. They're I think we get in that. We just call on God in the moment 
out of the midst of some difficult circumstances, right? We just got him on 911 redial, you know, the car broke down the side of the road, so I'm calling the tow truck, or maybe you're laying on the side of the road and you're, you're bleeding out, so you're, you're trying to call the doctor to put you back together, you know? I think we kind of treat God that way because those images make sense to us and they're real to us and we're, we're kind of used to living in that kind of a rhythm physically and so then we treat the spiritual relationship with God in the same way. Those 911 prayers. We find ourselves in serious need of something and we lob a prayer up. And there's times too when praying, I don't know if you've ever gotten this, but praying feels a little bit like a waste of time. You're wondering, does this really produce anything? We're approaching prayer kind of like a consumer at that point, right? Rather than a relationship, it's more like a consumer. Uh, I'm just lobbing these prayers up to get something from God. And when he doesn't give me what I want, then it's really hard for me to kind of continue in that rhythm because it feels pointless. These are all rhythms that I've fallen into in my life and I imagine human condition-wise, we probably all fall into these at times as well. Now, I also think it's fair, um, in my estimation, in my assessment, I think it's fair to say one of, the pro- one of the major problems we have is that we wind up oftentimes divorcing the discipline of prayer from the discipline of reading God's Word. Um, I think it's easy for us to forget that that God wants to speak to us through his word. And then what he wants for us is for us to speak back to him through prayer as his word directs us. One One of my joys, one of the things I love to do, like when things are clicking really well between God and I in this relationship, right? And I'm, and I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm hungering and thirsting for more of him. I'm reading his word daily, and I'm, I'm just I'm getting something out of that, right? I'm, I'm drawing close to him through that. Then my rhythm of prayer becomes, oftentimes, I'll take the passage of Scripture, and I'll kind of outline things in it that he's speaking directly to me, confrontation of sin, promises to bless and restore, and so on and so forth, right? And those kinds of things, or ways that his character shows up, and he's so good, and he's, he's sovereign, and he's loving. I'm, I'm journaling those things, and then I'm turning around after do, doing the study, and I'm praying through that. I'm praying in line with the passages that I'm reading. Um, that's, called, that's, that's called praying scripture. Um, those have been some of the most powerful, fruitful um, seasons of my prayer life, but I do think it's easy to forget that the discipline of reading God's word and the discipline of, of prayer really do go hand in hand. So I'm sure you, you get the struggle with prayer, right? I beat that one to death enough. And yet, at the same time, I'm hoping that all of us in this room have also experienced some of those beautiful seasons of prayer. That's why I'm, I'm really thankful for um, our study in the book of Acts, and specifically the, the, the text that's in front of us today. Um, might be helpful for a minute to kind of backtrack and think about where we've been in the book, what, what God has been saying to us through the book of Acts so far, and what's been going on in the narrative. Um, might be good for us to remember that already in the book of Acts, as we jump into the first part of chapter 4 here, might be, might be good to remember that we've already seen prayer on a number of occasions. I also think it's uh, helpful to remember exactly where we are in the story. Um, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 3, and you just kind of glance at that, if you haven't been here, you might remember if you have been. You know, back at the beginning of chapter 3, Peter and John are headed to the temple to do what? They're headed to the temple to pray. And then what happens? They encounter a man who had been lame for over 40 years and he's asking for donations because that's his felt need. That's what he believes he needs. But the reality is, man, if this dude can walk, what then? He's asking for donations and Peter and John, instead of giving him a donation or praying that 
God would provide for him in that way. They, they actually pray for him to be miraculously healed. And he does. He gets healed, right? He, he jumps up and he's leaping and he's running and he's joyful. All because of a prayer. On a day when they were headed to the temple, pray. And this big crowd gets gathered because this miraculous thing happens. Like the circus arrived in town, <laughs> you know. And if, if I, it, it, like if we got started getting text messages right now, or maybe all of our Facebook, social media stuff started going off, and we heard the story of some person that got miraculously healed over in Brickyard Park, which is, you know, a few blocks from here, it'd be pretty easy to wrap this up and bail out of here and go check out what God was doing over there. Not just the circus was in town. God was doing some powerful things. So a bunch of people were gathering around, and what do Peter and John do? Well, they don't have a big massive healing service, which is kind of fascinating. And they don't take up a big offering so they can go buy a personal jet. Um, I have jokes. What do they do? They preach the gospel. And they preach the gospel powerfully, and people are getting saved, which uh, catches the attention of the, um, I like to say, the, the most powerful religious gain in Jerusalem at the time. Um, Council of the Sanhedrin catches their attention. They come, and they, they grab Peter and John. They toss them in jail overnight because it's kind of late at night. Bring them before the religious council the next day. They question them about the healing. They threaten them. No longer preach in that name. We're going to set you free. What happens? That's where we've been. That, that's been the micro story inside of the story, right? One of the things that I said, um, if you were to go back and listen to the first sermon from chapter 3, one of the things that I said... Um, as we begin studying this whole section, is that we could be certain that uh, Luke, as he writes, he's including details uh, for us because he wants us to remember that the early church was extremely devoted to prayer. Uh, not only were Peter and John, like I said, headed to the temple um, in that in that passage, in verse 1 of chapter 3, they're, 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 they're headed there to pray. Uh, but throughout the entire section, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 3 and then the end of chapter 4 here, verse, or verse 31, uh, th this whole section is bracketed or bookended by prayer. With little sprinkles of prayer throughout. So prayer, I think... I think Luke would say, I think he would agree, prayer is the activity that fuels the preaching of the gospel. That's what's taking place. Prayer is the activity that fuels the preaching of the gospel. Now, I would add this too. Um, prayer is also the fuel of our relationship with God. Uh, our relationship with God is only as strong as our devotion to prayer the Word of God. Because that is the communicative pattern. Boy, that was a... That is the communication pattern. Oftentimes I use my, um, my marriage relationship to try to illustrate. Um, and there's lots of ways it breaks down, but it goes this way. Like, if, if I do all of the talking in the relationship, right, and my wife doesn't do any of the talking, or vice versa, if she does all the talking, I do none of the talking, the relationship starts to fall dead. Um, we've probably all heard it that re, you know, communication is key in any healthy relationship. Um, and so that's why I say here, I think that the fuel to a healthy relationship with God is a strong devotion to His Word, hearing from Him, allowing Him, letting Him, asking Him to speak, and then us speaking back to Him through prayer. So, Let's look at the text a little bit more. The text that we read for this morning, right? let's just kind of walk our way through it, and let's think a little bit about the kind of prayer that is taking place here. And again, I would say it's the kind of prayer that gets results. Right? First thing we want to look at is the reason for prayer in verse 23. 
as you kind of scan that over maybe in your mind and as you think about it, you might remember I said a little while ago that 911 prayers are part of our rhythm sometimes. I don't think, I don't, I don't want it to sound, I don't want to sound too negative on that. 911 prayers, I don't think, are altogether that bad, okay? So think about this with me just for a moment. Like, we're human, and our, our good Father, He has no problems with us coming to Him in prayer whatsoever. I often say that I think, you know, our view of a father is part of the problem when it comes to this kind of communication, right? Depending on what kind of earthly father you have or what kind of earthly authority figures you've had, you, you may see God as this angry, judgmental, hiding in the back room, too busy with other things to pay attention to you or really annoyed by you when you bring your problems and your troubles to him. It's hard, I think, sometimes for us um, to see God as this loving, kind, patient Father. And if, if we've trusted in Jesus and we're covered in the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus at the cross, we are, we're sons and daughters of the living God, the King, right? the Creator. So I do think that's, that's part of the problem those 911 prayers, I don't think God really has a huge problem with them. I really don't. It's just like, you know, I have seven kids and uh, a couple of grandbabies, and we were out to dinner last night with uh, one of them. In fact, there was one running around here this morning, too, but I, I <laughs> they get wild and they get crazy and they break the rules. You know, you're not supposed to run around the restaurant and, you know, stand there waiting for my, we're at Who Hots, by the way. I love Who Hots. I'm a foodie. It's ridiculous. Hoo-hots. I'm going back for my second plate. It's stupid, you know. And I'm I'm talking. There's a there's an older lady in line, and she goes, "Oh, like who are you with, and where are you from?" We're talking. She's sharing with me about her husband who had cancer, and um, we're talking about that. And my <laughs> my grandson is is running around. He's running around the whole restaurant. Somebody lost track of him. Pretty soon, I, I look over the railing. I'm leaning on this railing. It's like a little half wall, and I'm leaning on. I'm talking to this this lady, and feel something tap my arm, I look, I look down, and, and there's my grandson <laughs> hiding. There's that little wall, and he's tapping my elbow, you know. The thing that the, thing that little Ezra knows is, you know, this authority figure, Grandpa, is not going to freak out on him or get mad. I'm carrying on the conversation with this lady, and I'm also reaching my hand down and messing around with him. Um, now, the funnier thing is, is <laughs> I wasn't alone in this. <laughs> Grandma <laughs> is knelt down on the other side of that uh, half wall with him, so he had help. <laughs> you know. um, my point being, I, I, I <laughs> that may be a story that I can tell you where I shine and look really good. I, I can tell you thousands where I biff it. You know. and just so that I balance that well, I remember a time when our daughter Charity, uh, we had asked her not to play with the camera. Do not touch that camera, and uh, we had left for a little while, came back, she, being young, that camera looked shiny, well, she broke it, and uh, I was angry, and I don't remember all the words I used, all the things, I, but it was, it was not, it, it was nowhere near what a loving father should do. I do remember being immediately convicted of it later, <laughs> and apologized to her, and said, you know, I, I need to love you, a human created in the image of God much more than in a inanimate objects such as a camera. Again, my point being, like we experience fathers on this earth, and we experience authorities on this earth that even when we toss up those 911 prayers, right? Like, hey, Dad, I just skinned my knee. Oh, really? Well, did you have a helmet on? Like a helmet would help with a skinned knee, right? Um, I, God has no problems with us coming to him with our 911 prayers. point here is um, we as humans, we, we have plenty of reasons, right? Plenty of opportunities to come to God and commune with Him in prayer in relationship. And the question is this, do we stop in those moments and do we take advantage of those reasons in those moments, like little alarm bells? Do we, do we take advantage of those moments, those opportunities to approach our Heavenly Father and commune with Him? Do we do that? So Luke tells us in verse 23, when you look at that again, that just as soon as Peter and John 
were released from the council. What did they do? I love this. They went to their friends, he says. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And I find this, this portion, this beginning, really, really refreshing. Why? It's, it's refreshing because Peter and John, the first thing they do is they, they go to their friends. They go to their friends. And they give them this report of what had taken place. And this is what I can see in my mind's eye when I'm trying to imagine what's going on. I, I see them, they're all gathered up in a small home, or maybe it's the garage or the fire pit in the backyard. They're all gathered up together in this place, and they're giving all of the details to their friends. And, and they're talking about everything, all the way from witnessing God doing this amazing miracle, right? Man, just a couple days ago, guys, we saw God show up, and this man who didn't walk for 40-some years, God, we prayed. All we did was offer this really simple prayer, and it was just, hey, I don't have any silver and gold, bro. I have Jesus. Get up and walk. I didn't know if it was really going to happen or not. <laughs> I can just see that taking place. And in Peter, I can see Peter's animation, right? And then they're witnessing, sharing this with their friends. God did this amazing miracle. And then, oh, like the whole city. It's this whole city gathered around. I can see them talking about how the city gathered and how they, they preached the message. And Peter's probably talking about, yo, man, like six weeks ago, you remember what happened, right? Like I denied Christ and ran off. I actually cursed him in front of that little girl around the campfire. And six weeks later, I'm preaching a message, guys. I don't know what's happened. Like the whole thing to me just feels really exciting. They're with their friends. They're sharing what took place. And then they get to the part where they preach that sermon, a bunch of people get saved, right? And then they're like, oh, and by the way, we got arrested. <laughs> well, isn't that great on a resume for a preacher? <laughs> well, I got arrested last night. <laughs> no, no, I didn't, but they, they did. <laughs> Side note really fast. Most of you know we have a ministry that, does go to some pretty dark places on Saturday nights. So uh, there was a group of us didn't get home until about 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, and uh, we do joke sometimes that, hey, if something goes south and you got to show up and preach with a black eye, what's that going to be like? Or what if we get arrested? Yeah, so I don't think that's going to happen. But these guys got arrested, though. And I can just see them telling the story. I can, I can, like we're doing, I can hear the laughter among friends, right? They're in community together. They're not lone rangering the Christian life. Got this family of friends, and they're sharing the stories. They spend this dark night in a, in a cold jail cell, and then they, they talk about these frightening events that happened where they're, they're being questioned, they're being threatened by the most powerful religious gang in the city. You stop preaching or else. It's crazy. I wish I could tell you details. I've experienced this in our city, in a way. It's crazy. Nuts. I bet it was an animated conversation. And what was happening was it was leading them to realize that they had plenty of reasons to pray, right? Me, I, I'm like, okay, I told you a story. I'm stinking worn out. I need that pastoral nap now. So somebody bring the cot over. I'm going to take a nap. Um, I'm going to take the sanctified nap. Pray as I fall asleep. That's not what they did. They immediately began to pray as a group of friends who know that their only hope in God alone. The question is, how often do you find yourself driven to your knees in prayer in, in a moment like this? Let me ask this too. What circumstances have you been facing? And they could be sins against you. It could be sins within you. Uh, it could be needs that are beyond you. Those are just some categories that create circumstances in our lives? And maybe you've been treating those circumstances like a snooze button on your alarm clock instead of jumping out of bed and hitting your knees in prayer. Right? Circumstances pop up and you snooze, I'm going to ignore that, it's going to go away. Snooze, I'm going to excuse that, it's going to go away. And instead of just catching the alarm and just, 
You know what that's like when you've had a good night's sleep and you're refreshed and you don't hit the snooze button? I don't know how many times that happens, but for me, that's like one or two times a year. Okay? But those are refreshing mornings, isn't it? Like when you just jump out of bed and you're like, yo, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's hit the world. Come on. Today's great. But wouldn't that be great if that was what our prayer life was like? Like the moment the opportunity comes for prayer, we just hit our knees in prayer because we've experienced this vibrant prayer life whereby we are communing with God and we're witnessing Him doing powerful, miraculous things in and through us. Like, wouldn't that be cool instead of just tapping the snooze button every time? Yeah, I sinned again. Yeah, oh yeah, that person, what they did, that hurt. Or, I don't know how we're ever going to pay those bills. Snooze. So the reasons to pray really are all around us, so you don't have to look very far to find them. The question, the question again is, am I going to take advantage of those reasons as opportunities to approach my Heavenly Father and commune with Him in prayer, or am I going to continue to hit the snooze button? To notice with me the second thing. And notice with me the content of their prayer. This is really good. Notice the content of their prayer. Now once again, before we go there, we need... It's, it's difficult sometimes, I think, to know what to pray, right? So content of prayer is really important. But I think it is difficult for us to know what to pray. It's difficult for us to know, like, what words should we use? One of, the, one of the worst things about Christianity, I think, well, it's not one of the worst things, I'm exaggerating, but one of the worst things about Christianity sometimes is you have a pastor or preacher on stage does this every week, and after about 10 years, there's a little bit of a professionalism to it, right? i got enough words in my vocabulary that I can pray a really beautiful prayer in front of you and ooh you and all you, and you might think that I'm really spiritual. And you know, Jesus had words for guys who thought that was enough. They're pretty hard warnings, really. And so, you know, there is a model and example of that, that, hey, here's words you can use when you're praying, but oftentimes for an average, non-professional Christian who doesn't get paid to do what I do, right? You're like, hey, I'm, I'm not him. I can't pray like him, can I? I think you can pray just like me, to use the words that I use, or any other preacher for that matter, right? But that is a a pitfall of Christianity for us. I think think this, I think it's, sometimes I think it's like, um, we think that as we approach God, I was talking earlier, right, about ways that we view God in relationship with him, I think that oftentimes we, we kind of view God like he wants us to have our words just right, like precise, specific, and definitely better get that grammatically right <laughs> for me. Grammar. Grammar drives Like the only way we can come to him is like, it's almost like you're coming to God like, like he's a loan officer maybe, Right? Come to him like he's a loan officer. Maybe he's like a boss, and the only way that he's going to answer your request is if you get that proposal just right. Get the PowerPoint just right, and get the handout just right, and boy, you got 30 seconds to get that proposal in, because man, God's got a lot of stuff on his shoulders. He's got a lot of needs to take care of, a lot of people to talk to, right? What's that movie? Wasn't there a movie that kind of illustrated this really well with the filing cabinet drawers full of sticky notes? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Bruce Almighty. Here's the reality. Reality is God's our Heavenly Father, right? He enjoys us coming to Him with nothing but a few broken sentences full of bad grammar, as much as that makes my toes curl. He loves us. He enjoys being in our presence. He enjoys us coming to Him with nothing but a few broken sentences of bad grammar, maybe uh, just a tiny little shred of faith clinging to uh, every ounce of what I would call maybe weak energy that we have inside. It's just kind of holding on to him and his promises. And this this little, small, itty-bitty, tiny recognition of the fact that God is a sovereign promise keeper. Isn't that the way? Isn't that the way that you and I actually came to Jesus for salvation to begin with? Didn't we come to him with nothing but our jacked up, sin-filled, broken life, right? A tiny little shred of hope and faith, a 
acknowledgement that, that God is fully capable of putting the pieces of our broken lives back together. Isn't that how we came into a relationship with Him to begin with? Why do we get duped thinking we need to have everything put together <coughs> when you come to Him? Why would we get duped into thinking that what God expects of us is for us to put together somehow by our own effort and our own work now? Like, He did the saving. Now it's on us to put the presentation together and come to Him before He'll accept and give results. Why, would we, why, do, we, why do we get duped into that? Well, I mean, I, one answer, I think, is that <coughs> we still battle Satan, sin, and death, don't we? Like, you know, Satan does accuse and sin does tempt and death does taunt. And, and in the midst of that spiritual warfare every day, I think it is easy to kind of bow the knee and give in in the wrong ways and start to view God as though he's something that he's not. Isn't that the way Satan has been after this from the beginning? Did God really say that, Eve? I think that's what Adam told me. Adam, he's like, oh, what are my thumbs over? What's going on? You know, Adam, typical dude not paying attention. <laughs> And those are some of the reasons that we probably get duped into this. When you look at this prayer and the content of it, right? All that foundationally. When you look at the content of this prayer, you see how the early church came to God in prayer. Don't you see them just coming to Him in kind of the proper way that I just described? You say proper, it's not, not polished, not perfect. I don't think their words are all that great, to be honest with you. As you look at it, really study the grammar of it. It stinks. Commas are in the wrong place, and the periods are in the wrong place, and there's a few words misspelled. <laughs> then we have teachers in here. So, so you teachers know I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing at me on this because I'm like writing theology papers all week. I'm getting graded. I want 100. When I get 99.9, I'm ticked. So whole grammar thing is like rolling around in my head. The early church has their reasons to pray, and they pray. And here's how they begin. Look at it with me. Verse 24, what do they do? They begin by admitting that God is the sovereign creator. That, that's, a, that's a really great place to kind of begin in a prayer. God, you are sovereign. You're in control of everything when everything's out of control. Right? They remember in verses 25 through 26, they remember what God has promised throughout history in His Word regarding the coming Savior, right? They're talking about how the Spirit inspired David to write this thing about the coming Savior. And they're going, hey, you, you've been promising this throughout the centuries. They move from that and they, they acknowledge in verses 27 through 28, how God has actually then done what? He's fulfilled that promise, that, that predestined plan, they kind of use the word. You fulfilled that plan of redemption. You did this in the work of Jesus. They start pointing to Jesus in the midst of their praying. Verse 29, what do they do? They, they ask God to come and help them. And notice, notice with me real quick, just for a brief moment, we're going to come back to it, but notice what they ask for. I find this really fascinating and very invigorating and very freeing. Fascinating, invigorating, freeing. They ask God to help them remain faithful. Really. That's, that's what they're asking for. Like, help us to remain faithful in what? Speaking the gospel with boldness despite the circumstances. Despite the threats that have been leveled against us. Help us to remain faithful. Give us boldness. Give us strength to remain faithful. Final thing they do in verse 30 there is they, they, they ask God to continue doing miraculous things. Why? Once again, not so that they can get jets, <laughs> but so that Jesus would be revealed to more people. That's what they're longing for, is that they would witness for Jesus. People would know God. That's the content of their prayer, right? Let me sum it up. Uh, God is sovereign. God promises, God saves, God strengthens, and God reveals Jesus. That's, that's a summary of the, you could say, coat hooks. A little tag on each coat hook. 
God is sovereign. God promises. God saves. God strengthens. God reveals Jesus. And they just work their way down the hooks. I think. I don't know if they were that smart, but I don't, that's just what it looks like to me. I think in a linear fashion. So <coughs> I think it's worth noting again, I've already said, it's not a real beautiful grammatical thing. Kind of ugly. Amen, Joe? Yeah, Nelson. If you want somebody that really understands the Greek stuff, um, Joe Nelson in the back gets it. It's not pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's Greek, it's Greek to you. <laughs> yeah. The wind may not be, it is Greek, and it may not be very grammatically correct, but it, I will say it is deeply rooted in their knowledge of God's word, right? God speaks to us through his word, and we speak to him in our prayer. Now, one, you may have heard this, um, and on the next slide, uh, you'll see just a couple of basic ways that uh, we can pray. I think it's on there. He might be getting there. Everybody say, sound guy. Next slide, please. Thank you. Clap, clap. Come on, clap. Come on. He's smiling at me back there like, I'm shooting you later. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. <laughs> I wanted to give us a couple of practical things. Um, this, this, you may have heard of these, uh, the, uh, this first one, the acronym ACTS. You know, since we're in the book of Acts, it makes sense. A-C-T-S. Um, it stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. These are, this is something you can kind of use as a prayer tool or a prayer guide, right? So you start off in your prayer um, by giving God adoration or expressing your love to him, right? I, I adore you. I love you for all these things. And C stands for confession, where you would um, confess your sins to God and be very specific to him about that. Um, the T stands for thanksgiving. So this is where you start to give thanks to God for all the things that you've seen him do in, in overcoming your sin and providing for you. And then finally, the last one is supplication, which is a big word for uh, requests. This is where you just ask God for everything that you're, that you're asking him for. So, so that's one uh, format for prayer that can be very helpful. I don't know how much it's actually um, patterned after what we're reading here in the text, but I, I, I do think it's good. I actually think that that is probably more patterned after um, when, when Jesus' disciples came to him and asked him, how do we pray? I think this ACTS acronym is actually more patterned after the Lord's Prayer, so that you might find that as a reference to go substantiated in Scripture, so it's tied to Scripture. Um, if you get my notes, there is a little footnote for a commentary where you can find more than what I just said about that specific acronym. I think it's helpful. One that I don't have on the screen or in my notes that I just remembered in my mind um, that I heard John Piper say years ago is uh, he has one that's called APTAT, A-P-T-A-T. I will tell you this, I don't remember the words, <laughs> so all I remember is the acronym right now. A-P-T-A-T. A-P-T-A-T. If you, if you look up Aptat and John Piper, you'll find his teaching on that. It is actually a very interesting form of prayer as well. It can just give you, again, some coat hooks to, to hang your prayer on. But if you look at the text in front of us, right, um, and you try to create some coat hooks out of that, you can see it on the screen. I got our cab. It's not a word. I, I did think about it for a few hours trying to play with words, and not a very good word smith, so I got our cab. Um, our cab really means nothing because there's no such word in the English language that I know of. Um, but RCAB stands for admitting, remembering, confessing, asking, and begging. Um, admitting, remembering, confessing, asking, begging. That's uh, really what you see them doing, right? That They admit that God is in control. Uh, they remember God's promises. They confess sin and God's ability to save. They, they ask God for provision. You beg God to reveal more of Jesus. Admitting, remembering, confessing, asking, begging. What would that sound like? What would it sound like what we just read? Um, I want to do my best to model it for you for a minute, so would you bow your heads with me so we can pray? Father, I... Uh, press pause here for a moment and come to you. And, and Father, just want to admit that you really are in control of everything. I recognize in a room like this that each of us walked in with baggage over our shoulders. 
There's a lot of circumstances in this room that we probably feel out of control on. And I just want to begin by admitting that you are in charge because you are the creator of everything. I want to remember, Father, that you have promised throughout the centuries to rescue us from Satan, sin, and death. You've promised to never leave us or to forsake us. And we know that you are a promise keeper. Trust you in that. Well, Father, I want to confess too, um, but I, I know I, I, I know we, we, we are completely broken, we're, we're rebellious, we're full of sin. Help us, Father, to trust you, trust that you are mighty to save, shed blood in the broken body of Jesus at the cross. Father, I'm, I'm asking you here, um, help us in our weakness, help us in our poverty, help us in the midst of our needs. Lord, begging you in these moments. Draw us closer to you. Reveal more of Jesus to us. All God's people said. The best model I could give you, just from the text. We're we're not facing people that threatened us or anything like that. Our circumstances are different. Really, at this point, the only thing left to do is to uh, look for results, right? That's the last thing we see in the text. Final verse, verse 31. You see the results of their prayer. I mentioned earlier that sometimes I think we struggle with prayer because it feels like our, our, our prayers just kind of hit the ceiling in the room that we're praying in, and then they fall right back down to the floor, right? Don't go any higher than the ceiling. Um, and I've, I've learned oftentimes, I think, that, that when we pray, I think the reason for this is that we oftentimes pray for the wrong thing in our human weakness. I want to show you what I mean. If you look at the text, verse 31, what does Luke tell us? He tells us the, that the results of the church's prayer are this. The place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, if you go back to the content of their prayer, did they pray for this? I don't remember them asking for the place to be shaken. I don't think they asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit unless I'm missing it. They did ask for the ability to continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. Honestly, these are some pretty amazing results from the church's time in prayer. I just, you know, if we paused here and we prayed something like this and then suddenly that happened here, that would be pretty whack crazy. I've never experienced a room being shaken or anything like that, but. These results here, though, from their time in prayer are very similar to what happened in chapter 2 when they prayed for the Spirit to come, to give them power to witness Jesus. The room gets shaken. The people filled with the Holy Spirit. They continue speaking the gospel with boldness. The entire world hears the gospel. So I do think that God literally saw fit to answer their prayers in a very powerful way. Right? Powerful results. Again, as I conclude, question, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? How would you describe it? You go back to all those words that I used. Vibrant, alive, consistent, dead, dull, boring, inconsistent, not sure. How's your prayer life? If, if in closing here, if you were to keep the application of this passage for us fairly narrow... It would seem to me that God loves to answer prayers for boldness and strength to be his witnesses. that's That's a summary. It seems like God loves to answer prayers for boldness and strength to be his witnesses, okay? If you look all throughout history, in, in the, in especially in, in church history, and you, and you look at the... Um, you, you look at the martyrs who sawed in half lengthwise, torn into four pieces between four horses. I mean, I can get really graphic. and People burned at the stake alive. They were praying for something specifically to happen in those moments as they were dying, some of the worst circumstances. Full of stories. Even my own personal experience, one of the things I've noticed that God has loved to answer in my life is that kind of a prayer. Give me strength to endure. Help me to be faithful as I walk through this. 
It sounds really basic and simple, doesn't it? Um, help me to face whatever storm is here in a way that would reflect you to people around me. I mean, I think that's what they're praying. Did you notice what they don't pray for? To me, this is the hook. You're looking for a hook. What do they not pray for? They don't pray for the removal of suffering and persecution. I'm not saying you don't find those kinds of prayers in the scripture, because I think you can. You also find imprecatory prayers where psalmists pray, God, annihilate my enemies. They're not praying for the removal of suffering and persecution. If you move from the book of Acts 4 in church history, for the most part, the kinds of prayers that God answers is not the prayers to remove the pain and the suffering, the difficulty, the hardship, the persecution. The kinds of prayers he answers are from men who are tied to stakes, burning alive, and they're just begging God, help me to be faithful until the end. Help me to mirror you, to preach your word, to not give in, to be faithful. It's a lot harder to be faithful in the midst of suffering and hardship. Anybody can be faithful when there's no suffering and hardship. Anybody can be patient when there's no reason to be patient. They didn't ask for the removal of suffering and persecution. They asked for strength and boldness, and God answered that prayer in a very powerful way. That was the results of their prayer. This is the kind of prayer that gets results. Maybe, maybe our study of this text should lead us to pray this way. So to pray more often for God's help to endure difficult circumstances. Uh, to, for God's help um, to, to, to be faithful rather than remove the difficulties. I think it's very possible that if we prayed this way for boldness, strength, endurance, faithfulness, rather than for the removal of the difficulty in our lives, that what might actually happen for us is we might actually experience a kind of communing with God and a kind of prayer life that actually soars high above the ceilings in the rooms that we're praying in because God is answering our prayers as he fills us with a fresh presence of his very own spirit. And then what he's doing is he's enabling us to be his witnesses despite even the most extreme circumstance. See, if you and I pray that way and commune with God that way, and he shows up and shows us results that way, I, I, I just don't think I would hit the snooze button anymore on prayer. Because I'd wake up every morning expecting God to show up and do something because I'm witnessing him doing it. That's a prayer life that I think is vibrant and alive and fully communing with the God who left the tomb empty. Amen? We pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to communion with, with you in these closing moments. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.